Uh, what I want to do today, I want to talk about uh, communion a little bit, uh, but I want to talk about a topic, basically, why it is it important to remember Christ? Why is it important to remember Christ? And I'm going to take a text from Luke 22, verse 18 to 19. Of course, the synoptic accounts have different uh, accounts of the Lord's Supper. Uh, this is one of them. And it goes on to say in verse 18, it says, For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. And he took bread and gave thanks and break it and gave unto them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. And so there we see a couple of things. The first thing we see in that passage, it says, this do. So there's never an opportunity where we as Christians are supposed to say, well, I don't want to this time. You know, that's not an option in the passage. It doesn't say, this do if you want to. It says, this do. And when you do it, do it in remembrance. In other words, it's, we're not talking uh, that it's a sacrament. It's not having any saving grace on your life. It's not going to, uh, you know, give you... Uh, give you merits with God that somehow he's going to accept you or anything like that. It's, it's, it's about remembrance. It's about bringing to mind certain things about Christ that are important for you, like he says here, until the kingdom of God come. So he gave us something to practice as a local New Testament church together with our, with our uh, church body so that we could remember him and that would help us wait on him and stay busy and do what we need to do until Jesus Christ comes. And so it's important that we remember. And so I guess we, we forget a bit, and the Lord knows that. Amen. Over and over, I remember in First Peter, he would say, you know, I put you in remembrance, because we forget, you know. And so that's why we have to do this. I know that uh, the Lord's Supper ought to be practiced more than we have in the last year. I think last year we did it once, and we've done it once so far, and we will try to do it more uh, but I just felt with everything going on, I couldn't really fit uh, in the Lord's Supper where we were as a church family in this last year. Uh, maybe I could have, but I, it just didn't seem to fit. And, uh, but I really felt uh, strongly that we need to do it tonight. Um, Matthew 26, verse 27 to 29 says, And he took of the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it. For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins, but I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of the fruit of, this, of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And so the Lord, even in this particular Lord's Supper, did not drink with them. And he says, I will not drink with you until I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And so it's a long time waiting. The Lord is waiting to be able to sit down with us and have this feast. And I think that's probably referring to the marriage feast, the marriage supper of the Lamb. And that's going to be the first time that Jesus Christ will sit down with us and partake once again. Amen? Uh, I think the first thing that it's causing us to remember here, it's remembering to be grateful. To be grateful. Uh, notice this in Matthew 26, verse 27. It says, And he took the cup and gave thanks, and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it. So this is not just thanking God for the juice and the bread. You've got to remember who's thanking here. Jesus is thanking. What is he thanking God for? Just the, the food that's in front of him? No, he knew what it represented. His thanks was not just for the, 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 the bread and the juice. His thanks was the fact that he was going to be used as a, uh, in his body to bear our sins and his blood was going to be shed that mankind could be saved. And he was grateful for that. And that's an awesome thing. 
And so as we look at this, we remember the Lord's Supper. We've got to remember to be grateful. If Jesus can be grateful giving his own life for us, then we ought to be grateful that he gave his life for us. And then perhaps maybe we ought to be grateful that we can give our lives for others. Amen? And I think the Lord has that kind of heart. So we are grateful for the blood that was given on the cross. The life, the Bible says the life of the flesh is in the blood. That's why we believe that life begins at a conception with a, with, a, with a baby. Because whenever there is the presence of blood, there is life. And where there is life, and you take that life, that's murder. Amen? And we believe that with all of our heart. Uh, the Bible says in 1 Peter 1.18, it says, For as much as you know that you are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. So Christ's blood was precious because it was pure and it was enough to purchase all of our redemption. Isn't it great to think about that one person on that cross, the blood that he shed, was enough currency to purchase every lost soul that has ever been lost. Amen? And he, he even prepaid. He prepaid everybody. The Bible says he became a propitiation, not just for our sins, but the, for the sins of the whole world. And so he says, I prepaid you guys. But he says, you have to receive it. So I'd hate to be in that situation one day looking at, at God at the great white throne and knowing that my sins were already prepaid. But because I didn't receive the free gift, uh, it didn't apply to me. The Lord already gave his life for me. Amen. That's why in 1 Peter it says about the false teachers, it says they denied the Lord that bought them. The Lord had already made the price. It's already the purchase was made. All they had to do was enter into that, that redemption through receiving Christ by faith, and they refused to do it. And what a sad state that is. So we ought to be grateful. We ought to be grateful that he paid that price for us and that we have entered in and we are redeemed. Uh, we ought to be grateful that he gave his body on that cross. Uh, you know how hard it is to give up the comfort of your body. Uh, how hard it is to go do something that's difficult. You ask one of your boys or one of your girls, could you do this for me? And boy, that's hard. I don't know if I want to do that. Well, Jesus, his father says, can you do this for me? And he did something harder than anybody here has ever done. That cost him a great price on his body. And the Bible says, 1 Peter 2.24, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye are healed. For you are as a sheep going astray, but now are you returned to the shepherd and bishop of your souls. So when, we, when Jesus gave thanks to the Lord's Supper, he was thankful that he himself would suffer and die so that we could be saved. So when we partake, let's be grateful that Jesus was grateful for what he did for us, but let's be grateful for what he did for us and then let's take that same heart that he has and let's be grateful that we can give our lives to others and help them to know Christ as well. And that's a really good thought leading up to the missions conference. Amen? Amen. Number two, remembering all that Jesus did was necessary. It was all necessary. You know, there was nothing what he did that could have been left out of the equation. Amen? Uh, it was all needful. Uh, I saw this when Matthew 26, verse 27, it says, And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it. Why would he say that? Why, why can't he leave a little behind? Why, you know, we always leave a little bit in the cup when we're done. He says, No, no, not this cup. When you drink this cup, I want you to take all of it. Because every 
drop of blood that was shed for you had was necessary, was necessary. And uh, every bit of what Jesus did was for me as well. Um, every disciple was told to drink all of it. Um, there was nothing that Jesus did that did not need to be done. In the Passover, if you go back to the Old Testament, it's the same thing. There were no leftovers. In Exodus 12, verse 10, this is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ as well. And ye shall let nothing of it, talking about the lamb that they had slain, remain until the morning. And that which remaineth of it until the morning, ye shall burn with fire. It has to be complete. It's got to be completely gone because every part of what Jesus did was necessary. He was completely given up for us. Amen. Every part of Christ's suffering and death was necessary. His father turning away that, that day and the sky going dark was necessary. The loneliness he fell on that, felt on that cross was necessary. The thirst that he had when he says, I thirst, that was necessary. The pain that he felt in his body as he bled onto the ground was necessary. Everything he did was necessary. The mocking that people did against him, that was necessary. There was no part of this that Jesus Christ could have just left out and said, well, let's, let's try to make this as easy as possible. When Jesus gave his all, he gave his all. You show me one more thing they could have done to him. You show me one more thing that could have made it worse than it already was. Everything happened that could have happened against him. Amen? And so he says, drink ye all of it. Remember that. Amen? So when you're drinking of that juice, you drink all of that down to the last drop, and you remember that he gave everything for you. Everything. Every drop of his blood was for you. You needed that. If you'd have been the only soul on this planet, he would have given every bit of that blood for you too. Amen? So there's nothing left over. Number three, remembering Christ's purity. In Mark 14, verse 12, it says, In the first day of the unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover, his disciples said unto him, Where wilt thou that we go and prepare that thou mayest eat the Passover? So they were observing the feast of the unleavened bread. This was a, a carryover from the Passover feast. And so we know that what was happening this week, there was a transition taking place. That lamb that they for centuries would, would kill on that night, and they would, they would observe that, uh, like, like Exodus chapter 12 says, is now being transitioned to the final lamb. And that's what happened this, this final week. There's no more need for another Passover lamb. That week, the, that last lamb was offered for the sins of all mankind. And so when they got together and they were going to do this, they were going to have this supper, the disciples' minds were thinking the Passover. They were celebrating the unleavened bread. The, the bread without any yeast in it, the bread without any, uh, anything that made it uh, defiled and so forth. And that's a picture of defilement is the leaven within the bread. So that's why when we partake, we never use leavened bread. It's in, I will never do that. It's, it's a terrible picture of the, of the body of Christ that he was the perfect son of God. There was no sin in him, amen? And so that Old Testament picture was fulfilled in the, in the giving of the perfect body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why it was so important that it was unleavened. Leaven was a picture of sin. 1 Corinthians 5 verse 8 says, Therefore let us keep the feast, not with the old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So he's talking to the church now. 
He's saying, hey, if we're going to do this feast, if we're going we're to get together and, and partake, let's make sure that we, it's not just about the bread. The bread is just how we remember the purity. He says, but let's make sure that we are pure. That's why I think the Lord's Supper is far more um, important and sacred than most people give it uh, honor to be. And that's why I sound, I sound like a kook sometimes to people. When I start talking about the Lord's Supper and how we do it, they say, well, what's the big deal? Everybody just come on, let's have a party. That's not how we do things. Because the Bible says that we have to observe this feast with, with, with no leaven. With no leaven. And that's why I've taken this so seriously. And that's why I've held back on the Lord's Supper. Because we had to deal with leaven within the body of Christ. And that's why as you partake, you have to deal with the leaven of your own heart. You have to deal with the sin that's within your own heart, the bitterness, the anger, whatever it is. I would never partake if I had a, even a stitch of bitterness in my heart. The Bible talks about how that many among you sleep or weak and sleep because you partake of the, uh, of the supper unworthily because you don't discern the Lord's body. You're lacking discernment about the purity of the body of Christ and you're actually partaking it with leaven rather than unleaven. Amen. So we're supposed to remember the purity of Christ and that's supposed to affect us as we get together on a night like this. There ought never be animosity. If you've got bitterness towards someone next to you, don't you partake until you deal with that. And that's why during an invitation time, I give you that opportunity. You'd be better off standing up and going to that person saying, I'm sorry for what I did and go back and sit down before you partake because you don't understand the sacredness of a supper like this. This is not just the game. It's not a religious thing that we do. This is something that we're picturing the very body of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God that gave his life for us on the cross of Calvary. And if he didn't give his life, that perfect body on the cross for us, then you and I are not saved. If he had leaven in his body, then you could not be saved. But because he was unleavened, you and I can be saved. He was pure and therefore we can be pure. Amen. And so every time we remember him, every time we partake of the Lord's Supper, we make sure that we got pure motives and a pure heart and we deal with all sin in our life and we confess it. And I know how it is. You say, yeah, but preacher, I'm battling things. I know we battle things, but this is a time for you to deal with it. This is a time for you to go to God and say, Lord, please cleanse us from my life. And you know what? You may fail again, but you know what? You're going to the Lord. That's what counts. You're going to him and asking him for help and you're saying, help me to overcome these things in my life. But don't just walk away from him because you're not good enough. You're never good enough, amen? But let him point things out and deal with it. If you, there's something between you and another person in this room, you deal with it or you may be sorry one day. You may be looking up from a hospital bed and just finally dawning on you. You know why I'm here? Because I was partaking unworthily of the body of Christ when I knew in my heart that I had hatred towards somebody in the body of Christ. I didn't discern it. I was lacking discernment because of my sin. So I encourage you, uh, this is very important. This isn't just about you and Jesus. And that's where I think a lot of people think that communion has nothing to do with the church, has nothing to do with the local assembly. It has everything to do with the local assembly. It's given as a local New Testament ordinance. It's not given to the church as a whole, this invisible body out there. It's given to every individual church. Now, he says, you partake of this with your body because your body reflects my body. So I don't have to worry about what that body in that church is doing, whether they have leaven or unleavened, but I certainly have to be concerned about this body, <laughs> amen, and the same with you. 
when you're here, you're saying, it's not about me dealing with those guys over there. It's about me dealing with myself in this particular dynamic of this church right now. Amen? And we have to work with it. And so that, that's just what it is. So leaven is a picture of sin. Luke chapter 12, verse 1, it says, In the meantime, when they were gathered together an innumerable multitude of people, insomuch that they trod one upon another, he began to say unto his disciples, first of all, Beware ye of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. For there's nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. So you think about what he's saying here. He's saying the real leaven, he could have mentioned, beware of the leaven of alcohol or drugs or immorality. He's not saying that. He's saying hypocrisy. Why would he say that? Because what we do is we put on a show. We put on a mask before the people of God and we pretend that we're right with God. And we have no issues with anybody, but we have deep resentment in our heart and deep issues that we're not being honest about. And he says, you got to understand there's nothing that's going to be covered, that, that nothing is covered that will not be revealed or neither hid that shall not be known. So the Lord is explaining to us what this means. So when it's saying that we ought to partake of the Lord's Supper, and it ought to be with, uh, not with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Sincerity and truth. We ought to be sincere here tonight. Who you, who you show me to be tonight by the way you look at me, say, I love you, pastor. I say, I love you. That ought to be sincere. There ought to be no hidden agendas. There ought to be nothing in us that we're saying, oh, that person, I don't like them. If that's it, there's a hidden, there's a hidden leaven in your life. And that's a very dangerous thing. So let's make sure if we're going to deal with this, it's not about dealing with every little sin under the earth here. If you can just deal with the leaven of hypocrisy, and be honest about where you're at. I think in a very short time, you can deal with all the sins of your life, amen, realizing that it's all going to be exposed before God. It is exposed. We cannot live a second dirty life. You know, many times that's what we call it. They have a second life. There's another life they're living that's not the one that you see in front of you. And folks, I'm going to tell you something. The, the greatest compliment someone can give you is they say to you, you know, you're just like you are whenever I see you. That's the greatest compliment. Whether they see you downtown at the store, whether they see you uh, at the church house, you should always be the same. But if you're a different person with other people, that's a second life. That's a dirty life. That's a hidden life. That's hypocrisy. That's leaven. Amen. So let's be who we're supposed to be in, in sincerity and truth, the Bible says. Sincerity and truth. Um, I'll move on quickly. He, leaven must be purged. Must be purged from the body of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 5, 6, it says, Your glorying is not good. Know you not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? That's something about yeast. How much do you got to put into a, into a loaf of bread before it just kind of takes over? You know, it It multiplies. And so today, our, the greatest challenge of New Testament churches is not giving out the gospel. The greatest challenge is to keep the body pure. You know, if the body is pure, we'll do the job. You know, because God will be with us and his power will be on us. But you know, if we're, if we're not dealing with sin in the church, God's power cannot be on us. Much of what you're going to see happen through this church is not going to be because I'm so great a preacher and not because you guys are so great. It's going to be because God says, you know what? If you deal with the leaven, I will bless you. 
I'll pour my spirit upon you. That's what we want. It can't be explained. <laughs> it can't be explained by man's ability. It's got to be God. Amen? It's got to be God. When I come this morning, I had very little sleep last night, and I'm just totally, you know, zonked out. I said, Lord, man, I don't know if I could do this today, <laughs> you know? But then he just kind of takes a, a control of it. And we have people raising their hands for salvation. I got to talk to a family and help them move forward in their Christian life and different things like that. That's just God. Yeah. That's not me, man. If it would have been me, man, we would have had a terrible morning. <laughs> you know, a, you would have said, preacher, you need to go on vacation again. <laughs> you know, but no, it's God. God's doing it no matter how you think you are, how great you are. Amen. We're not really that great at all. So purge out there for the old leaven that you may be a new lump as ye are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. So he relates the Passover sacrifice to this aspect of, of being unleavened and purging out the leaven out of the house of God. Amen? So it's important. It's a part of what we do here at the Lord's Supper. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 27, Now are ye the body of Christ and members of in particular. So this body right here, you are a member of the body of Christ. And I'm not just talking about an invisible body. I'm not talking about the big picture. I'm talking about the little picture. I'm talking about the little body here, this little independent Baptist church. He's looking at this as an extension of his body on earth. And each one of us that are, that are submitting to the doctrine, that are submitting to the, the, the leadership of this church and falling into line with it, we are all members, in particular, a part of this plan that God has. So what we want to do is not make ourselves look good. That's why I always say, when you join a church, you've got to forget about yourself. Don't worry about your, your name going in lights. You know, Sometimes you just got to forget your name and just say, you know what, I'll take on a new name. Let's take on Jesus Christ. Let's just, let's just exemplify him with our life. Amen? And I understand some preachers, they'll start, pull, they'll start using the opportunity of, uh, of the pulpit to glorify their name. <laughs> I'm not into that at all, and I think you know that about me. I don't want that. I just want Christ to be glorified. If I'm dead and gone, you can forget who I am. I really don't care. But if you just remember who Jesus Christ is, that's what's important. Remembering Christ. Amen? That's what's right. That's what's important. Because he is, he is the, we are the representation of his body on earth. I'll move on quickly here. Remember Christ to remember the world he came to save. Notice what he says here in Matthew 26, verse 28. It says, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. The one little words, the two little words I got out of that passage was for many. For many. He could have put a lot, lot of different words in there, but he just tucked those two words in there. He's, I'll tell you what, this is the blood of my New Testament, which is shed, guys, for many. He wants us to remember. We think about the Lord's Supper. He wants, to remember, wants us to remember that it was for many, not just for you. And so he wants you to remember the world that he came to save. He wants you to remember who that blood was shed for on this planet. Amen. Every person you see outside these doors, that, that is a part of the many. <laughs> Amen. Every person you go, to, go on the job with, that's part of the many. Every person you see in the store, that's part of the many. And we've got to keep that before us constantly when we think of the Lord's Supper. Jesus had to die so that many could be saved. A many means a, 
a quantity implying a number of multitude, great and large. And that's that verse that I told you before in 1 John 2, 2. And he is a propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And this is where I see is one of the great sins of Calvinism. Calvinism, what they believe is that Jesus only shed his blood for the elect. That he only died for those that would be saved, that he would choose. But here it tells us something very different. It says, no, no, not just for yours only, but for all of them. You know, say, well, what do they do with verses like John 3.16 where it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Well, they say that's talking about those that are the elect. God so loved the elect is what they say. You could just take that word world out and put the elect in there. (laughs) That's not true. He loved the lost, even those that would never be saved. He still loved them enough to pay the price for them. He prepaid. He prepaid. Amen. And that's one of the great sins of Calvinism. That's why I'd never, ever follow that. It's just a terrible uh, slight on what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross of Calvary to hold that doctrine. We're given the responsibility to reach the world with the gospel. And he said unto them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. If Jesus Christ shed his blood for many and for all of them, then I think we have the obligation to go to all of them and somehow get the gospel to them. And I know it seems like an impossible task, you know. It's like the little boy who saw the the starfish, you know, wash up on shore. And he knew that if they would be on that beach, they would die in a short time because of the heat of the sun. So he started taking these starfish and throwing them back in the ocean. There were thousands of them. And someone just says, you'll never save all of those. You'll never make a difference. He says, I just did for that one. And he picked up another one. I did for that one. And I did for that one. See, folks, that's all we can do. All we can do is do it for the next one. You know, this week we're going we're gonna, to you know, have Dan Dinsmore. We're going to talk about Belize. We're going to see the great need there. And you know, there's a whole bunch of starfish that have washed up on shore. So how can you reach a whole kind of, well, <laughs> let's just do them one at a time until Jesus comes. That's all we can do. And if we just catch that vision and other churches catch that vision and get behind these missionaries, maybe we can do more than you think. He's already planted a church up there that's already throwing starfish back. Let's help him to start another church. (laughs) He can make a difference for that city. He can make a difference for that city. Amen. Let's not get overwhelmed by the sheer magnitude of what our job is here. Let's just do it one at a time. One gospel message at a time. One sermon at a time. One service at a time. Amen. That's all we can actually do. Number four, remembering Jesus is keeping our hope alive. This is important. Jesus wants us, see, before he left, he says, I'm, it says in Matthew 26, 29, but I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So he, he brought into it a little bit of eschatology here. He says, I'm, I'm pointing you to a future time. He says, in other words, I'm giving you something to focus on that's going to happen in the future that is going to be a real blessing. So I need you to keep your hope alive. (laughs) The Bible says that we we have to be those that live within the hope of our calling. There is a hope that we have. The world has no hope, but we have hope constantly. We have faith, love, and hope. 
These are very strong attributes in the, in the life of the believer. Uh, a believer that stops having hope is a very pathetic thing. Amen. All they do is think about themselves and their situations and their money problems and their family problems and their people problems and how could this ever get better? Don't you worry about all those problems. Just focus on the time where Jesus says, hey, there's going to be a day I'm going to drink this with you anew in my kingdom. Keep that hope before you, amen? There'll be those that'll come along for the ride. There'll be those that leave you stranded. (laughs) It's just the way it is. This church is a blessing to me. I love it with, with everything I have. I'll give my, my complete energy and life to what God is doing here. But you know something? This church is more than just one, one person because if I focus on the one and say, oh, if that person doesn't continue, then I'm done. <laughs> I've got to focus on the big picture. I've got to keep my hope alive that there's a day I'm going to meet Christ. And I'm going to tell you about that and say, hey, guys, if you want to join me with this thing, we could all meet him that day. We could all stand before him that day. We could be faithful until Jesus comes. Don't be one of those that just get a little burn in your saddle. Well, I'm going to quit the church. And we get that all the time, you know. And there will always be till Jesus comes. Every year we're going to have a list of people that just kind of hightailed it. and They'll blame us for it. But the fact of the matter is they're the ones that forsake, forsook the church. We didn't forsake them. We're still doing what we always did, where we are, where we've always been. Amen. We believe what we've always believed. We're preaching what we've always preached. We've served the way we've always served, and we're going to keep doing it the way that we've always done it. But you know, there are those that'll leave. Let's not lose our hope because of the, the struggles and the battles. You know, one of the, one of the great church planters in Canada here, old Jessup, he said, you know, every time you plant a church, there's a scaffolding that the Lord sets up, and after about a year or two, that scaffolding falls to the wayside. That means the initial people that help you get it started usually don't stick with it. That discouraged me a bit. <laughs> you know, I thought, oh, you know, here are these people. And it means I'm looking at these people. I mean, there's a day that's going to leave me high and dry here? Maybe. Maybe. I hope not. Maybe we can just disprove that theory. <laughs> Amen. But I know the fact of the matter is, even if they all did, we can still continue on. Because Jesus said, there's a day where I will drink this new with you in the kingdom. He wants us to keep focused on that. Let's keep thinking about the future and what Jesus has for us because it's not going to end. There's a great celebration coming for all the labor and sacrifice that you've put into the Lord's work, amen? Sacrifice it. Give yourself, you know, die to yourself. Don't worry about your reputation. Don't worry about how much people glorify you. Uh, You're not worthy of it. Not a bit, amen? By the way, you start glorifying yourself. Remember, there's a price to that. When you glorify yourself, you've got to take it right through. You've got to be good enough to carry the people right through. You want to take credit for someone in this church? I don't take credit for one person in this church. You're all here because God did something. If I would take credit for you, then I also got to take the responsibility for when you leave. <laughs> you understand that? If I'm going to take credit for you being here, then I got to take credit for you when you leave. Then it's all on me. It's all about me. No, sir. I'm just going to give it to God and let God do what he does. There's people praying for people that you've never known. There's people praying for people that have come to this church and you thought you were just it. You're the one that did it. You did nothing. There's people that prayed long before you even thought of these people. God has already done the work for you. Don't take his credit. Don't glorify yourself. It's his work. Amen. You just make sure you be a good example when people come in, you look them in the eye with a pure heart and you love them and say, hey, if you need anything, I am here for you. Amen. 
and help them to continue on the best he can. But whether a person comes or goes, I'm going to tell you that has to do completely with their decision before God. Don't take credit for it. Because if you take credit for it, you're going to have to take responsibility for when they leave. And then you face God with that. Amen? I refuse. <laughs> I refuse. I don't want it. I really don't. I would rather think about how God brought Ferdinand and Lou from B.C. and had nothing to do with me. Had nothing to do with any of you, by the way. Had to do with God reaching in and saying, I want these people to be in this church. That's Christ building his church. If I would build this church or you would build this church, we would have a monstrosity. Amen? But I'll take the people he brings any day. Sometimes I have people coming in and they think they're just God's gift to your church. You treat me right and I'll join your church. I'll say, talk to God about it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm not here to stroke you. See if you can handle it. <laughs> you know what I mean? God brought you here, you will. <laughs> you will. So remember, remembering Jesus is keeping your hope alive. Keeping your hope alive. John 14 verse 1 says this, <clears throat> Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Amen? Isn't that what it's about? Today, even when Jesus was talking to John the Baptist's uh, disciples there, they're saying, why aren't your disciples fasting? When we were part of John the Baptist, he caught it and told us to fast. <clears throat> Jesus said, while I'm with them, there's no need to fast. But he says, there's going to come a day where they'll fast because I'll be gone. And, I, and they, they want to be with me so bad, they'll fast and they'll, they'll, they'll pray and they'll sacrifice, you know. And he's just saying that where I am, there ye may be also. No more sorrow, no more worrying about things. You don't have to worry about going on your fasts and your burdens and all these things anymore. When you see Christ, all those things are going to just fall away. No more family problems. No more issues. Amen? No more contentions and fighting and sins and issues among us. What a wonderful time that's going to be. Amen? When we partake, let's not just remember the purity of Christ. That's why we use unleavened bread. That's why we use grape juice, no alcohol, never will. I believe that'd be a complete travesty to use alcohol to represent the very blood of Lord Jesus Christ. Alcohol is a breaking down of the natural properties of, of the grape juice. That's why even within the, in the dynamic of him explaining the Lord's Supper, he never even uses the word wine. He uses the word cup, or he says the fruit of the vine. Because he knows how wicked we are. He knows that if he'd use wine, we'd be using alcohol every step of the way. I remember people that went to church, and it was a church down there in my hometown, and they started using wine for their communion. This guy was a recovering alcoholic. And he got back to drinking because he took that sip of wine from the church. That, my friend, is not the body of Christ. That is not a picture of the perfect blood of Jesus. Amen. And by the way, uh, the fruit of the vine, this is pure. There, there's no better taste than the, than the pure grape juice. Well, it says take a little wine for your stomach's sake. Yeah. Did you know that grape juice is the best thing for your stomach? Natural, not wine, not alcohol. 
Every doctor I've talked to, whenever you're dealing with something, are you drinking? Stop drinking. <laughs> you know, because it's no good for you as you're recovering, as you're trying to get well. So these people that are telling you it's good for you to drink wine or alcohol, they're not right. Pure grape juice is what heals the, 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 the properties that's going on in your stomach. That's what Timothy was supposed to drink. Amen? Amen. And so let's remember the purity of Christ. Let's remember the hope of Christ.